Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm Janet. I'm Mel. And I'm Helen. May is a very special month for us here at Asian Boss Girl. For one, it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, APAM for short, and it's also Mother's Day coming up on May 8th. In light of Mother's Day coming up and the three of us on this podcast, today's discussion will be honoring our mothers and talking about what it was like for them as immigrant mothers in this country. While we talked about their immigration stories in past episodes, their journeys to America, we never got to really ask them, what was it like for you as someone who left home to raise a daughter here in America? This month, we are working with Old Navy on a campaign to celebrate our AAPI heritage. We are so pleased to be partnering with them on this very important conversation. So thank you, Old Navy, for sponsoring this episode. Yes, so we went ahead and interviewed our mamas. We were able to bring in some clips of the recordings into this podcast for texture, but for the most part, we'll be sharing their responses through our words. So to start off, for just a bit of background, we asked our mom what age did they have their kids and followed up with a question that I've always wondered, especially for immigrant parents in moving to a foreign country and deciding to have children in America, did they also have to move away from their village and support system that would have helped them to raise their child? Was it something that they feared? What was the reasoning that drew them to want to even move to America in the first place? Hmm. Those are really good questions. They were. So how did your mama respond, Ms. Melody? So I did ask my mom all these questions. So she told me she wanted to have kids at 26. So she had me at 26. I was the firstborn. Um... At age 26, and the reason is I want to make sure I have a house and a stable income before I'm having kids. Mm, okay. Actually, I was very lucky. I did not have any fear uh, because my parents actually took an early retirement, uh, knowing the fact that they actually will be coming over and offer help uh, babysit when, when Melody was born. And then because they were actually at a younger younger age mm. at that time. Uh, so they were still, health-wise, they, they are still doing, they're still very good. How old were they? Uh, they were, I think, uh, mom. my mom was 50 and dad was 51. Mm, that's pretty young. Um, I also remember as a child, I spent a lot of time in Taiwan with my grandparents. And I remember, 
I feel like even like when the my auntie and uncles helped take care of me a lot too. Yes, when when you were in Taiwan with them, because of their um, my 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 dad's uh, sibling sisters also even younger. My dad was oldest, mm. so they were and Melody was the first grandchild. So mm. everyone is is loved, you know, to help out and babysit. Mm. I think you know asking her, you know, why did you want to move to America? I think for her, it was more of a parents' choice. You know, she was 14. And then, um, yeah, I think it was, the decision was kind of made for her. And I think it's something she said in the past that she doesn't regret. So that's my mom's, I guess, background. Wow. I, I didn't know. I guess our moms are similar, Mel, in the fact that they came to America because it was like a family decision. Mm-hmm. And I know I've had mixed things. I heard when I was younger that my grandpa had come here like to to on like one of those like tour groups from mm-hmm. Taiwan to the US to like scope out. Yeah. But I thought my mom like more actively wanted to come. But she said, no, it's your grandpa was going to bring the rest of the family out there. And so it was kind of like that was where I was going. Mm. Um, and unlike you, your mom, though, my mom sounded like she was not a very practical person. Mm. So growing up in Taiwan, she said she was a big dreamer. Um, she grew up you know, fairly comfortably, and it's a small island, Taiwan, so you, like, know a lot of people, it's a close community, um, and she didn't really, like, she grew up pretty comfortably, um, like, middle class, and so she's like, I never had to think about finances and economic survival, mm. but then you come to the U.S., and she had to figure all that out, right, as she came on a student visa, and then getting married, and then starting, I think she said it wasn't until she got pregnant with me at 31, so my parents actually were married for a couple of years, mm. and, like, spent more of their young adult life, like, just working, and like partying, partying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and so she said when when we then were confronted with the financial reality and then um, the time that it would take to have a child I really like that was like a huge um, moment for her yeah. and between and because she never really thought about like having to worry about economic survival coming here and starting a family my parents had to figure that out and they were both working and then when they had when they started having kids she's like we lo- we became very practical about looking at your dad may- made a higher income and if we if i continued to work i would have to, we'd have to pay for childcare because yeah. my grandparents are here but they were still older mm-hmm. and we have a lot of aunts and uncles who also had kids mm-hmm. so they couldn't quite have like full-time care so it was interesting to talk to her about like the very confronting reality of what having a child was and also her being a woman having to sacrifice her career Mm. she decided to not only was it practical but she said because I am the type of personality that's very particular about how to raise my kids I wanted it to do it myself Um, and so she quit her job and then you know raised us mostly with some help of family around but mostly she was a primary caretaker Um, and then she I think when she was working full-time she was a accountant at like a car dealership and so when she went, uh, when she left that job, I, I found a relatability to her with this. Cause you know how like I will shift careers or like take courses. I didn't know she like signed up for a course to get her stockbroker's license. Mm. So she went and like studied. Um, and I think it was like night classes or something for 10 weeks. And then you go take your, the test and then she became licensed to be a stockbroker. And she found a company where she could sign with in Alhambra or in this area. Yeah. And they let you, um, you do like meetings like once a month or something. And then you kind of work for yourself. Cause she wanted still to be like stimulated and stuff yeah. and, and potentially be able to make some side income. But just because of the reality of being able to like work full time mm. for her just no longer was possible. Um, and the question about, you know, moving to, 
America not having your caregiving system here, right? So my grandparents on both sides and aunts and uncles were all here, but she said it is very different being in Taiwan where you know everyone. And now coming to the U.S., like not only are people spread out, like we lived an hour away from all of our main family, Mm -hmm. but also like you don't know as many people. Mm -hmm. Um, So she gave me, she told me this story about one time when um, she was working as a tax preparer and I think she had one day to go to a meeting. So to be able to do that, she drove an hour to drop me off to my grandma's house and then another hour to drop my sister off at my other grandparents' house and then another hour then to the location of her meeting so that she could, you know, like in -hmm. in terms of the reality of trying to balance like Mm -hmm. childcare Mm -hmm. and being a mom. And then she's like, and then I realized that it doesn't, it's not worth it. So, um, but yeah, that was, it was interesting to kind of learn the details of that. I think also me being at an age where I'm seeing my friends deal mm-hmm, with that right. now, I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, this is what she had to deal with. Did you know that she was more or less like a stay-at-home mom for a period of time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for all of then my childhood, she was. And she always like told me, my sister, like, you're very lucky that I'm here full time. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. appreciate, you know. Um, and, and I definitely like, definitely appreciated her for that. Wow, mm-hmm. so insightful. I've been like learning a lot about your your moms here. Um, okay, so I did ask my mom the same questions, and I'm gonna play some of what she said, um, just because she is here right now, actually helping me out with my son. So Whoa. getting some grandparental grandparental help, um, and I was able to interview her um, in person. Hi, mom. Welcome back onto our podcast. Thank you for having me again. Okay, okay. So she will be speaking in Toysanese, which is the language that we speak at home. So I just wanted to play that as a little intro to my mom's voice. And if you hear that she's speaking Hoisanma, which is what we speak at home, that is why. But I'm going to summarize what she said because it was a very lengthy answer for a very short question. But So she had us when she was 23 and 25. So freaking young. I asked her if she was ready to be a mom then because as a mom now, for me at 34, like 23 is so young. And she said that that was the expectation back then back in china like after marriage comes a kid it's not like us kids these days where we have too many opinions too many choices too much freedom of you know whether or not we want kids and back then if you didn't have kids right away people would sort of assume that you couldn't and then they would kind of Mm. judge or look at you a certain way so when i asked her that she was like yeah of course kids right after marriage so her history my dad and her actually got married in china and then my dad had to come to the u.s to get a visa for my mom to move out to the U.S. and that took like another year. So she was just at home sort of like waiting for my dad to come get her. And um, eventually he brought her over. And I asked her, you know, was there any fear of moving to America because her sisters and her parents were all back home. So this is what she said. So she said she was a little afraid because all of her her parents and her sisters were all in China still. But sister, brother, My dad's side had family here already. Mm. 
She said <laughs> she hadn't met any of my dad's side of the family before. So she said, wouldn't you be scared? And yeah, I guess I would be a little afraid <laughs> moving to another country and not having met my uh, husband's family. Why did you want to move to America? move to America. the future. She said she moved to America because of us, for her children. So to summarize her answer to that last question, she wanted to move to America for our future, for mm. her children's future. And I had asked her, is because China was scary during that time? She's like, not too scary, but it was really for us, for her children, which I was actually kind of surprised by that answer because I thought she had wanted to move because of Cultural Revolution and everything mm-hmm. that was happening, you know, like the, the effects of that period of time. Mm. Um, and so she had heard from others that America had a really good education system. Um, and that's why she wanted to move here for the potential of a good future for us. And I think when you're a mom, you live for your children. And to her, it was just a no-brainer that if it was going to give us the best potential outcome, mm-hmm. that that's why you know they would move here for us. So it was very interesting to to hear her say that. I didn't realize how young your parents were when they had you. 23, mm-hmm. 20, wait, 26? 23 and 25. That's, that's baby age. Yeah. I know. Well, and that's like 10 years younger than what your, like your mom basically had you when she was a decade younger than you had yeah. your baby, right? Yeah. So it's like weird to kind of, like you said, conceptualize. 10 years ago, would you have been ready to be a mom? Yeah. <laughs> right? Hell yeah. no. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I give a lot of props for that, but I think it's it was also a very different time. Yeah, mm, that's you true. Know? Yeah, I love hearing your mom's hoi san hua. Yeah, yeah. I was like, speed up, mom. <laughs> Talk a little faster. <laughs> yeah, my mom talks a little slow too. I mean, I my, yeah. No, I mean that is they're getting older, and it's you know. <laughs> she had her um, answers like written out because some of these questions they're a little bit more complicated yeah. and just like the English translation of it. Right. So I Google translated it and. Sometimes it didn't translate right, but she had a piece of paper and she wrote down some answers. Aww, but I was like, yeah, read a little faster. <laughs> My mom, like, she was like, as I was asking the question, she's like, can you write this down? Mm. She wants, she likes to have things she could read off. Oh, yeah. so she's a visual person. My mom, audio. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, so I wrote down the answers and she like, then she was ready, but mm. I was like, you know, mom, you're pretty good at ad-libbing, though. She, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was pretty impressed. You know, I think the thing is that no one's really asked them these questions That's before. True. So I think they want to be more prepared mm-hmm. when, you know, giving these answers because they've never really thought about it. Yeah. 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 I ended up just having a conversation with my mom. So, and I give her a heads up because she's like very planned person. So yeah. I was like, hey, mom, tomorrow can we sit down for just like 20, 30 minutes mm-hmm. and chat um, for, you know, this mm-hmm. interview? And then I sat down with my laptop and I would just kind of ask the question. And then we just had a conversation and it ended up being about an hour long. Oh, wow. And then I kind of tried to distill down, you know, like what her answers were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. My mom was more like, are we done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I do want to hear more about, you know, your experiences or your mother's experiences as an immigrant mother. You know, I think for you both specifically. Like, yeah, so one question we wanted to explore with our mothers was this one. Knowing that you were coming to a foreign country, did you ever find yourself affected by the process of acculturation? And if so, what were some ways you practiced adopting American traditions into your home? Any changes in beliefs, values, identity, behaviors? If not, why did you think it was not necessary to? So um, I kind of paraphrase this a little bit with my mom. And I first asked her, like, what are the big differences between American and Chinese culture? And the first one she said, like, almost answered right away very automatically was, in Chinese culture, it's very focused on um, respecting elders and teachers and putting others first. Mm -hmm. And not only putting others first, but distinctly putting yourself last. 
Mm. right? And she said, in Western culture, it is very self-focused. We always talk about putting ourselves first, that if we don't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others versus Chinese. It's like, so it's like directly opposite. And then to the aspect of having to practice acculturation, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, she did say that coming to the U.S., she distinctly felt like a minority. Um, Like, you, it is very obvious that even though they say the U.S. is like a big mixing pot of people, she said, you obviously are a, coming from Asia, you're of a different culture. The language is a huge barrier. And her coming from Taiwan specifically was such a small place where you know everyone. And then you come to the U.S. and it's this big, vast, and being in California, Los Angeles, it's like really sprawled out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I asked her, like, in what ways did you try to kind of like adopt American culture? She shared that, you know, when we were growing up, of course, like she tried to celebrate holidays holidays like Christmas and and Halloween and do all those like decorations and things for us but on a day-to-day basis she also said that one of the things that you notice about observing as a foreigner in a country she said that the clothing and the attire she knows that that would make us stand out so she was very active on trying to like Mm. dress me and my sister Mm. in ways that made us feel like kind of similar Mm -hmm. um, to blend in and then I thought this was also interesting I don't remember what I asked specifically that brought up this anecdote I guess but she said that when she first came here she when she didn't have the greatest mastery of the English language um, whenever she felt like she was encountering an unjust situation like someone mistreating her because she was and she could tell she's like I know that because I'm not speaking as well mm-hmm. I'm like a small Asian woman anytime I feel like there was an unjust thing done I would speak up and mm. but and she's like I'm not even in very good English but I would like burst out and I would get like really angry and then she said I, then I realized like that's not going to solve anything and not do anything but I thought that that captured a lot of like the frustration mm-hmm. where not only the frustration but the acute awareness of how different she was you know and that kind of like how hard that is to adjust Mm -hmm. but do you feel like you ever saw that in your mom while growing up yeah so what was funny is when she said she used to burst out she's like i remember you used to hate it because Uh. i guess i was a toddler i don't i don't really have memories of that but like vague kind of of my mom sometimes like if we were out in a store or something yeah she might kind of push and then i'm like embarrassed you know Mm -hmm. as a kid um but i do know that like when i was much younger she was a pretty feisty person in especially because we were in a mostly white community <laughs> growing mm-hmm, up yeah. mm-hmm. so oof, it makes me think about how just like difficult it is to move to to another like totally country, country completely different environment and feeling like you want to stand up for yourself but mm-hmm. almost feeling like your voice is just diluted just because everyone around you already behaves and acts a certain way mm-hmm. and especially when they first moved here yeah. like there's still a lot of racism and discrimination going on too mm-hmm. and you can't battle that yourself yeah right it takes a community and and she probably didn't have that back yeah. then yeah how about you helen when i asked my mom this question um she said she did feel the need to adopt to american tradition and change some of her ways she said especially in public areas so this is kind of the opposite of what you were saying jay but from her experience when she first moved to america there seemed to be like a greater sense of community of Mm. politeness, of like taking care of one's space and Mm. treating spaces outside of your home with intention and wanting to sort of preserve the beauty of it. So not Mm. littering and, um, for example, being a good neighbor type feels Mm. that she didn't feel as much of in greater China. And she Mm. gave me this example, which I'll play. Mm. (laughs) 
I did that. I don't remember doing that. Okay, apparently. So she's saying that when we were in China, now I was a little girl, I don't remember this, but in China there's a lack of a sense of like community. There might be more like, yeah, I guess she's saying more selfishness. So when we were in China when I was little, someone threw trash out of their house and apparently I picked it up and threw it back into their house. <laughs> so she's saying, yeah, and then also there was a time when we were waiting in line for a bathroom and a lot of people were cutting us in line and I, that's the first time I saw my mom go off on someone saying that it's not <laughs> polite, that's not the way that they should be doing things here. But in general, in America, there's more civility. Okay. And she had to learn how to be more polite towards but others. But anyway, in China, you like Mao. Yeah. <laughs> She's saying in China, she still was polite, but there are just more people like that, I guess, over there. So she wanted to clarify that she's not one of those people. <laughs> so I had to play that part right there. But I think just the more that we talked, um, she just mentioned that back home, there's a saying of do as the locals do. And I mentioned this on the mm. podcast before, but this is something that was ingrained in her mind growing up. And she knew that moving to America, that was something that she would have to practice as well. Um, and another example of what she did for us to adopt more of an American culture, we got cable TV. And I asked her yesterday, I was like, why did we have that? Because now when I asked a lot of my friends, like even Philip, he didn't have cable TV growing up. And it's not like we were like balling <laughs> at all. So she said it was not for her or for my dad, but it was for us as kids because they wanted us to grow up watching American television and understanding American culture. And although we watched I Love Lucy a lot as a family, um, she would always rent VHS tapes from Chinatown to watch like Chinese dramas mm. and HK dramas and um, cop shows, old school, like fantasy kung fu movies. It was always a mix of the two cultures on our television screens um, and what we as kids absorbed from media. So I thought that was, you know, an interesting way to just hear how she really tried to mm. to show us kids what American culture was like. Um, I also asked her if she wanted to Americanize herself during, you know, our younger, my younger years. And she said, not really. Um, when she got off the plane, landed in America, she didn't even know ABCs. Like she literally did not know any English at all. And her effort to be a part of the culture was shown through her getting her GED here, like getting her high school equivalent degree here, because she wanted to communicate with us as her kids and really just to help us with our homework. And I still remember thinking when I was in third grade, I was like, why can't my mom help me with my homework? And I remember being really sad about that. But to hear her side of saying like she really tried in order to help us, like got me pretty teary eyed just thinking about that because she really did try. But it's just that hard. The language barrier and the language difference was too hard for her. Wow. That's I mean, I loved hearing about all of these specific lengths that she went through to practice acculturation and adopting mm-hmm. the American culture. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense from like you shared that she came here for her kids. Mm-hmm. So it's like now she's explaining and how she's demonstrated, you know, all of that. And it's fascinating. You grew up on like a bunch of then media. Do you still have memories of like watching all those? Shows? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's why I can sort of speak Cantonese, even oh, though we speak Khoisan Ma. Yeah, it's yeah. because of all the Hong Kong dramas that we watch, all the cop shows, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. hot cops. <laughs> Helen was checking out the cops. <laughs> <laughs> the fantasy that we yeah. now know of. 
It's funny because right before this recording, we dropped off the baby to your dad. And I see, I hear all this like Cantonese show going on there. I was like, that probably is very reminiscent of your childhood. That's reminiscent of now. That's it true. is just always, always on in the background. I love it though. Yeah. How about for you, Mel? How about for your mama? My mom had, had a very different experience because actually first I was really surprised when I explained this question to her. She knew what acculturation was. And I was like, oh, oh, like, oh you know? Well, I definitely had to Google translate that. Yeah. And she was still like, is this right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had to Google translate this. She knew. I was like, yeah. what the heck? It's different because, again, you know, my mom came here when she was in high school. So she kind of yeah. like grew up in this American culture. You know, she was given an American name. Her name is Sandy. Mm-hmm. I think as an immigrant high schooler, she was excited for the Western, Western like holidays. Like Thanksgiving was a huge holiday for her. Christmas, Halloween. So I think when she had me, it was like a given. She didn't celebrate this stuff with her kids. So yeah, I think just the adopting, adopting American traditions, it's part of her childhood. So mm-hmm. it was natural for her to give it to my brother and I. The thing I find a little fascinating, maybe a little backwards, is that it's funny how my mom shares with me. We were talking about this actually when we were back home because my mom and all her siblings were back and like we're joking around about their American name. So before they immigrated, they all got, they were all given English names. So my mom's name was Sandy because Greece is really popular back then. Mm, mm-hmm. And then my uncle had Tom and then we had Dick, which I now <laughs> never say out loud because he changed his name. But my mom had this period where she actually went back to her Chinese name. Oh. Yeah. So then my uncle was telling me, he was like, yeah, there's a period of time where I didn't know. I, I, it was foreign for me to address your mom as Mei Ling because mm. I knew her, I known her as Sandy hmm. all through high school and college. So I was like, oh, interesting. So I don't know. I wonder if my mom, like, just maybe wanted to, like, get back to her roots. Because if you meet my mom, she's pretty Asian, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very interesting to hear, like, maybe in some some way she, like, flipped and adopted more of her Asian roots. Yeah. As she's became a mother. Right. You know, so kind of like a flipped type of experience for her. I think that is that is very interesting because, yeah, she came here when she was much younger. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have as much maybe memory and experience the way that Helen's mom and my mom yeah. had in, in their home like country. Um, and it's funny because I actually see that a lot in you, Mel. I feel like the last couple of years, similar to your mom, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I really like feel so drawn to like my culture and to Taiwan and to like consuming the media and like wanting to visit and spending time with my family members and really digging into that history. So, Whoa. yeah, there's a parallel there oh shoot you're right <laughs> so the next question that we asked our mothers did you ever worry about how your daughter being asian american would be treated at school as a minority okay so i asked my mom this question and she said yes really really really, really? yes you never told me that okay uh-huh now you know how as a mother well what were you worried about uh first the uh, yeah two signings see not discrimination when hawking you. Hmm. Then they very looked down on the Asian. Okay. Yeah. She's saying that when we were born, the discrimination against Asians was still very prevalent and very real, mm-hmm. which it still is today. Yeah. But sound that in that hall, oh, she go more than that local. In in that hall level. Hmm. So she was afraid that when we went to school, that people would pick on us. Um, I think growing up in the city of Boston, our schools were always very diverse. Mm -hmm. So I was thankfully never picked on in school because of my race, because there were kids of all different ethnicities and backgrounds and colors. So I assured her of that um, during my interview. And she was like, "Okay, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there were definitely people like on the street that would, you know, make 
comments at you as you're walking down the street of making fun of your language or whatever. And that's the sort of extent of the racism that I, I believe I faced as a kid. Or maybe it was just such a norm that I didn't even know that was happening, right? Um, but she was mostly worried about us just at school not being accepted um, because we were Asian. I also asked her why she never went to parent-teacher conferences. That was one thing that I noticed and I had never really asked her. And she said she was afraid to because of the language barrier again. Um, and she said that now she would totally be there. She knows how to stand up for herself. She argues with her coworkers all the time in a joking manner, but like a fun, like, you know, joking manner. And she would be at those conferences now. But I think back then... Being so new to this country, she wanted to be part of our school and involved in our school system, but she asked our friends' parents instead, who those who did attend parent-teacher conferences, to see how we, my sister and I, were like doing in school. Didn't know she did that, but I assured her that we're okay. Well, and actually, because you shared that she was so young, it makes sense. Like mm. when you guys were, she was probably not even thirty, right? So yeah. imagine like you're a you're a new mom in a new country, and it, it is really intimidating to be around all that. So that is a very mm-hmm. yeah. She was like much younger than we were going to you oh know a foreign gosh. country yeah, <laughs> for yeah, foreign right. teacher. So yeah. it makes sense. It's really intimidating. Aww. it's very interesting to hear your response and Janet's response. I feel like it makes me think about things I may have taken for granted with my mom. Mm. Because in a lot of ways, I feel like she's so Western that I didn't have to think about these things. Yeah. So for me, did you ever worry about your daughter being Asian American would be treated at a school as a minority? No, because the area she grew up, it's there's a lot of Asian. So there's, it's, simil- you know, it's similar, so we don't feel the races or mm. prejudice. Mm. But would you also say that, you know, because you grew up in Hawaii, that... You wanted something similar because I think in Hawaii you also said that there are a lot of also Asians there, right? Yes, yes. So that's why when we were in Hawaii, when we when we when you growing up, then we moved to California, the area we live in. There's mm. you know it's kind of like a similar mm. um, similar background as well. A lot of Asian. Mm. That makes sense. So yeah, again, kind of like someone to you, like Helen. Like my high school is very diverse. Asians were the majority, so mm-hmm. I think she she knew that, and so. Even our coworkers were pretty diverse or Asian, so I think she is like reflected in the demo of her work and then my high school. So didn't feel afraid. But as I hear you talk about like, oh, your mom, like, you know, like the fear, the English barriers. It's a huge barrier for a lot of you know parents and a lot of our our um, friends' parents. It reminded me when I was younger. I used to be so excited my mom could actually be a chaperone for field trips. Because mm. I remember knowing distinctly that my mom knew how to speak English. Mm-hmm. And I knew she could communicate. And I knew that was something I knew my mom could do. And I felt the difference with my stepdad because he was opposite of her. Mm. My mom would be the English speaker. My stepdad would be the quiet, awkward, didn't speak any English type. And I'm just mm-hmm. like thinking like, I wish she could be more like my mom, mm. you know, because my mom could. And then she would go to the conferences. Mm-hmm. There was, And it's weird because even as a daughter of a, I guess, like, an immigrant, I felt a sense of pride because I knew she could speak English. Because right. I knew that was a difficulty that a lot of my, my my friends went through. Yeah. But not having, knowing that I didn't have to go through that, I felt like, okay, I'm, like, in a quote-unquote safe. But I didn't realize mm. that after we just talked yeah. about your experience. But, yeah. yeah, I think sometimes I take these little things for granted. Mm. Um, your mom would have been my mom's friend. I know. And my mom would have asked her, hey, how's Helen doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she getting picked on in school? Can you check on her? Spy on her? <laughs> yeah. And she was. I think my mom, she likes to be friends. She likes to be friends, you know, the other Asian moms yeah. too. <laughs> but yeah, that's what my mom said. Aww. And how about you, Janet? Um, so 
when I asked my mom if she ever worried about us um, kind of being treated as a minority, she said, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I knew it. And I think probably because she was experiencing it herself, you know, I shared with her like, did you know that? Yeah, in like second grade, I was in like ESL classes. And I think, I don't even know if they tell the parents this, but it's just like during class, like in the middle of our general like classroom, they would pick some of us out and then like 30 minutes with a tutor in a different classroom and just reviewing like, or like, I guess like assessing my English. Mm. And I remember I'm like, there is nothing more othering for a young child than to take them alone in a class you know and to go into a, a separate room and be like why am I being chosen right. and then yeah um, and I remember it was me and this one dude who was um Persian I think mm. or something and then so the two of us were you know being taken out um so I shared that story with her she's like oh I actually didn't know that you know um but she did say that even as young as when we were in preschool when she started first putting my sister and I in school there was like noticeable um challenges meaning when she spoke with the teacher for preschool the teacher did tell her that I was particularly quiet and kind of kept to myself and didn't really play with the other kids but the moment that my mom spent a day in class with us and just kind of being there and helping out like volunteering then the teacher said she noticed that I was more um more engaging Mm. and more like happy and relaxed and so my mom said she so she I have memories when I was younger also my mom would come in like to help volunteer because I think she knew that that would like ease us a little bit Mm. but my sister oh my god she said your sister when I dropped her off in preschool was screaming bloody murder and she's like I felt so bad the teacher literally my sister was wearing overalls the teacher had to clasp the back of her overalls because she was like screaming crying like running towards the door and then and the teacher's just telling my mom go go she has to figure this out and my mom's like that breaks your heart she's like i drove home and then i drove right back i was like i can't do it oh my gosh my heart is already breaking yeah just to imagine your child going through and so so she was i i guess it was just i had heard these stories growing up but in this context of interviewing for her and her expressing that like i can't imagine like, yes, of course, I struggled, but as a mother, to know that your child is struggling and you can only do so much. Like, you can't go to school with them all yeah. the time, right? So she said, as much as I could help, I knew that, like, my job as a mother is I can only try my best and my goal is to get you to be able to feel empowered enough to, like, show up for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, shouldn't use those words, but that was what she was, like, basically right. expressing. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an interesting part of the conversation. Oh, man. <laughs> There's part of me, since both of your moms were, and they had like fairly, I guess that's not a very positive experience, yeah. but the fact that she was able to see you also kind of come out of your mm, shell. Yeah. And then Mel, your mom being there too, I'm like, I think I'm going to bring my mom to my son's oh. school stuff so that yeah, she can yeah. actually be a part of it now. And I have know that she experience. Must be, yeah. Yeah. So, she must be so happy to see that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now this is a thing that's going to happen because of this conversation. Okay. <laughs> you know what's interesting? But as you're talking about your preschool story, I realized like, my first language was Mandarin. I didn't understand anything the teachers were saying in yeah. school. Oh, really? You yeah. remember that? You remember not remembering or you remember not, <laughs> not knowing remembering. what the teacher was saying? My neighbors remind me all the time when I go back to oh. the Bay Because So we had the same neighbors as I did when I was born. So they're like, I remember you just know how to say ni hao, ni hao. Oh my god! And I'll say hello. I imagine Mel. a little Mel in, in the classroom. Oh, it's making me realize like my my in my experience. Even my mom is like it's a little like my Asianness came first. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. she was very Western. It's just yeah. It's very was that a choice from her not to teach you English? 
I don't know. It's because I spend most of my time with my grandparents. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now I don't. My Chinese, whatever. Oh, no. no. We should have been in the same class. I would have been. I know. <laughs> I would have been. I wasn't I wasn't afraid either. Like, Who's yeah, Chinese I know. I think yeah. that you could see the personality because I'm a very introverted person. Mm. So it's like, imagine you're already really shy and you can't understand anything yeah. and you can't communicate. I But I could totally see little Mel being like, ni hao, and just <laughs> getting up in people. <laughs> meeting them, learning. Ni hao ma. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the next question here, mm-hmm. lots of big words that we had to ask our <laughs> Asian mamas. Chinese culture is believed to value interdependence, filial piety, discipline, and hard work, whereas American culture values self-development and expression, self-esteem, and independence. We asked our moms if they would agree with this statement. And, you know, in raising your daughter, what were some values you wanted to instill in her? Was it more or less difficult to do because she was raised in America? So I asked my mom this question. And she kind of divided it into, like, American traits she wanted me to have and the Asian traits she wanted me to also have. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to raise my kids with both American and Asian traditions. Mm-hmm. I'll give you examples. So as in, uh, on the American r- tradition, um, I, want my, I want my child to be, you know, independent, self-reliance, financial independent, you know, self-confident. Now, mm-hmm. when it comes to as Asian, you know, our culture, you know, we want to... As as we growing up, we always a lot of cousins and aunties are mm-hmm. surrounded. Mm-hmm. So we 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 like to kind of um in, you know inclusive our families mm-hmm. and you know and then the education you know having a good education to help them mm-hmm. to um to become independent also when they're growing up. And then like you know some of the we want to be frugal, not to waste food and stuff. Mm. So you know again it's education you know school mm-hmm. i wanted you to have a good grade mm-hmm. you know and then traveling you know going back to taiwan you mm-hmm. can get you can actually find find my route actually mm-hmm. okay and the reason why she says this is because i think in our family there's people in our like ex- like direct family that's like only the four of them like our, our four unit is all that matters my mom's like no our whole family should matter like your aunts and uncles your cousins like my mom, our side of family always always emphasizes like we all like we're all whole family, not just mom, dad, brother, sister. And she also wanted to make sure like all Asian parents, education was huge, mm-hmm. and don't waste food. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the things she wanted to make sure I I had. I guess as a daughter, you don't waste food. I know, it's true. <laughs> you love leftovers. You love creating something new out of like, leftovers. Mm. You do too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, and you're also very big on community. I see how that mm. extends from what your mom has taught you. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not just your immediate family. And you often, like you said, you treat your friends as family, like so close. That's true. Yeah. I also find it interesting. Like the American side, like for the financially independent, she, my mom always tells me stories. She's like, I have this friend, like they're either she's like married or going through a divorce. And like, I could tell she's struggling because her money is her husband. She's like, I never want you to yeah. be in that place where mm-hmm. you literally have to rely on someone else's income to support yourself. Like, I know, she's like, I don't want that at all for you. I don't know. When she tells me these stories, I'm like, okay, I can see why she's so set on like, make sure your job is financially stable. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Like, even when you were saying that, like, that makes me think of like during the like my Chinese tea ceremony, like I got a big check from my mom, and she's like, "This is for your bank account. Everything mm. else is you can be split between you and Philip, but this is for you." And I was like, "Why does it matter?" And she's like, "Well, back in the day, you know, if the husband were to leave the wife, and if the wife mm. is a stay-at-home mom and doesn't have a job, she needs to have something to you know be able to take care of herself." Yeah. So I wonder if that is also for your mom something that is like a deeply ingrained Chinese mm. thing yeah. that you know she wanted to also. 
pass down to you to make sure that you're financially independent. Yeah. I wonder if it's a cultural thing or maybe mm. it's also like the mom's a divorced parent mm. that she's like, I don't want you to feel like you have to ever rely on anyone besides yourself. That too. Yeah. So it's very interesting. How about you, Jay? Actually, the financial independence was one of the key cornerstones that she, like a value that she wanted to instill in my sister and I. Um, so I don't know if it, yeah, it was kind of the similar kind of like, mm. you don't, I want you to be able to like, um, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe for her, it was also because she was mm. a stay at home mom and she, it, it like, she, she said she was not someone who was like eager to play house and be a mother, but she did that because she wanted what was best for her kids. So mm. I could sense from her, it's like she kind of sacrificed pursuing mm. a career. So, um, I think it's like thinking about us, like if, if you ever put yourself in that position and you don't have the skill set, yeah. make sure, you know, you can take care of yourself. Yeah. I have a question for you both, maybe after Helen answers too, because I wonder if you have similar answers to, to the both of us, but is a financially independent thing actually an Asian thing or like an American thing or just like a yeah the mother of a daughter like hey maybe just yeah yeah. you know it's probably a mother of the daughter hey thing (laughs) (laughs) just curious so my mom actually focused on my sister and i really adopting american values she said because you are both born in the u.s and this is where you have to survive and learn to thrive so i did not mind at all that you i wanted you to be like fully like integrated i guess Mm -hmm. um and to thrive here and in fact i distinctly remember all throughout my childhood that my parents avoided like giving me answers to things. Whenever I would ask them for like guidance, I mean, they were there to guide, but it was always like, well, what do you think? Or why don't you try it? And she was always very, very adamant about me making up my own mind and developing my own sense of self. Um, And in terms of like any specific value, uh, she said, I really wanted you to understand how to to be able to take care of yourself. And she used the word survive, which sounds like kind of dramatic and extreme. But I think when you're an immigrant person, like that is a lot mm-hmm. of what plays on your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Like making sure that you you survive, not even like thriving, but just can you make it? Um, and she said, focusing on making sure that you can help yourself because if you can't help yourself, you can't help others. And that was an exact value she gave as an example for what is more popular in American, like Western way of thinking mm-hmm. is put the self first versus others. So I think she really wanted my sister and I to really learn values that she perceived to be very prevalent in and what it takes to thrive in America. Mm. Mm. I can see that playing out in your life too. For uh, my mom's answer, I'll, I'll play this. And she also separated between Chinese values and, and American sort of values. Um, and the first thing that she said was... Growing up, she wanted me to have the values of filial piety and also respecting of elders, which I think is much more prevalent in Asian cultures, um, just from my experience. I think this is not to say that only in Asian culture is respecting elders a very high value because I think that is amongst all cultures. But I think there's a, a particular emphasis on this value within Asian cultures. And what she was saying there is that this is literally the number one thing that she believes is important in our culture and it's filial piety. Mm. And she said that if you are someone that respects your elders and practices filial piety, that even if you are a bad person, you still have this value in yourself, filial piety, 
and you have some saving grace and you can't be that bad of a person as long as you respect your elders and filial piety. So that was the one thing that she did mention for me. Um, And I know like even making sure I'm financially independent, all this stuff, I think she kind of maybe already sees it within me. Maybe she doesn't see the filial piety part. Maybe that's why she mentioned this part. But ever since I was younger, she always said that how um, soon Fumu is just making sure you take care of your elders as they, especially as they get older. Hmm. I, you know what? As you, as your mom is describing that, I will say that is really. I don't say cool. That's the right word to describe, but I do like the fact that she emphasizes filial piety because that's like a personal social trait versus financially it's more like you could like go make money I guess mm-hmm. and more action versus like from the good of your heart to take care of your family it's a different type of trait to carry because it's mm-hmm. like more of a human trait yeah right yeah yeah and and later on she does say that like she she didn't care if we were wealthy or if mm-hmm. we like were able to accomplish so many things it's as long as you're happy and healthy and you have a good sense of family and a good home like that's that's all she really wanted for us especially yeah. moving to america and then i asked her about the american culture and very similarly she wanted us to learn and, and value independence to practice again what i mentioned earlier politeness and community um when on the bus getting up if an elder is standing to let them sit or to not cut in line to not litter those are the things that she mentioned from the american side um that she wanted us to value growing up and she says that we did <laughs> so she's Mission happy with her daughters yes. yeah, yeah i mean i can't speak for you know as your moms i'm not but i think you're pretty all that you're all, you're all those things <laughs> thank you too thank you Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. All right, so the next question we asked our mom was, what has been the greatest cultural and generational strife for you in your relationship with your daughter? And Janet, what did your mom say? I feel like this is a quotable moment. My mom said the greatest strife for her was having a 100% traditional Chinese mom and then 100% American girls. So it was literally feeling she's like, I've had, you know, I have like one end of the spectrum above me and then one end of the spectrum below me. And I think when you are the, the main adult Uh, who immigrates here you kind of have to you're looking out for both right Mm. the elders and the kids Mm -hmm. and she said she struggled a lot to in communication because I think part of maybe Chinese culture but also her family they're very straightforward communicators and she said when speaking to you and your sister sometimes I have to be careful how I say something because 
maybe it like comes off harsh or different or something. And and she said, you know, as I think also this is less cultural and just generational. I think for moms in general, it's challenging to not baby your girls or, you know, like to really see them as adults. And so a, a struggle that she still has is I, she's like, I have to always remember that you guys are adults. You can take care of yourself. And that even though I have opinions about what you do with your life, I like you are in control. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting perspective. I actually see, I understand that struggle. Or not, not personally, but I can see for your mom, like, you know, that's being kind of like pulled from two different cultures. Yeah. Like you're, because you're Asian, like her mom's probably telling her like, hey, you should raise your daughter this way. Yeah, and she's yeah. like, but I'm in America. My kids, my daughters yeah. are 100% American. Yeah. So I could see like, what do you do? Yeah. yeah that is a quotable moment. That is. <laughs> it's like, because I feel like a lot of times we as second generation kids we feel like we're taking on more of that burden of being like cross-cultural where we're american and chinese taiwanese but our parents are still like asian so we feel like we have the burden of trying to figure out how to how to work with the older generation but it sounds like your mom actually takes on more of that burden because she does have to be sort of the bridge between the older older generation and and you Mm, never thought about it that way yeah how about um you helen what was your mom's response so when I asked her the greatest cultural and generational strife, she's like, mm, it happened recently. <laughs> so my mom is very much a believer and practicer of old school China traditions and values. So even when she came to America, I think it was just difficult for her to assimilate and adopt these American traditions, even though she knew it was important. It was just difficult for her because of the language barrier. Mm-hmm. So she gave an example of my sitting month. <laughs> My confinement period, which I will play for y'all right now. Now, for example, la, they be bit silence, la, con ngoi ngoi ni de hai yo ne min no chong min yi gen gut ge. So after a baby is birthed, you're supposed to sleep in bed for a whole month. Yeah, 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 yang nen. Eat in bed. Yeah, mm thu wo zi mm chu dui han ge. You don't sit, you don't go outside to walk. Con dei ni de so she said that for me during my sitting month I did half half <laughs> but she overall she was happy and said I listened she said, um, you, have, you have to always wear shoes or slippers at home because your feet have to be warm. Because there's a lot of nerves underneath your feet. Well, you're not supposed to go outside and catch any wind, um, but I did because I needed to go for my own mental health, I mean, my own mental sanity, okay? So I did go outside for very short walks. That was probably the one thing that I did not listen to the most, which, you know what, I'm okay with, because I needed to do that for myself. Okay, see, this this right here, you see this, you hear this tension? This is exactly what we had to go through during Sorry. my sitting month. Yeah, it's funny, because you can hear in her tone that she's getting, like, more and more hyped up, like, talking about all the things that I didn't do, and I'm just like... You know, it is it is what it is. I think we both understand that we're we grew up in very different times, and um, she understands it. I understand it. We try to be accommodating to each other. At the end of the day, it comes down to just you have to communicate. And even if you do communicate, which I did, I'm like, I need to do this for my mental health. She's like, but you 
you know, you got to do this for your physical health and your your recuperation of your body after so much blood loss, blah, blah, blah. You, you just have to agree to disagree mm. and just move on. So that that was my sitting month experience with her. And sounds like overall she was happy with me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, how interesting. It's weird as, as an observer, even though I am like also a child of an immigrant, like seeing you go through your sitting month and your mom has all these like really cool, I think they're really cool traditions. But I can only imagine you're like, I need to get out a little bit. There's always going to be a, a, a kind of small source of tension, right, with mm-hmm. the different generation. So I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, like, back then, I don't think they valued mental health. I don't oh, think no, they cared about that. It yeah. was just, like, physically, you yes. have to be healthy. If you're physically healthy, then you're going to be able to have a long life and be happy and healthy and whatnot. But mental health, what is that? I know. Yeah. It's also very – even, like, the difference between Western and Eastern, like, practice is also a huge difference, too. A mm-hmm. huge divide, yeah. I thought what you said – um, is a really good like statement for for balancing our relationships with our moms in general, which is agreeing to disagree. Mm-hmm. Like I think there were probably just a lot of those moments when you are of a different generation and different cultural background. All right. Yeah. How about for you, Mel? I feel like you're you and your mom are are very similar on the same page when it comes to like American values, traditions, and things like that. What is the greatest cultural and generational strife in your relationship with your mom? Yeah. So here's what she had to say about it. Well, as far as culture, again, want to make sure, you know, the education is good Mm -hmm. for you. Um, In general, we want to make sure you, you know, of course, you want to pursue your, it's different. It's like you want to pursue your passion, you know, your passion versus like we want to make sure you have a stable, stable job with a, you know, stable income. Mm -hmm. And I will say that I felt that the most, probably that difference, the generational one of like wanting to pursue what I want for a job versus like your generation wanted me to just have like a financial, like just like a financially stable job versus I'm like, oh, I don't care. I want to just have a job that I like, you know? And that's, I think that's a big cultural difference of two generations because we as um, growing up when was raised is, you know, you need to get a a good income. You know, it's not, not so much of what you like, Mm -hmm. It's more as the dollar sign. Oh. But your generation nowadays is not so much of the dollar sign. It's what you want to enjoy doing it. I think the older I get, I understand where she's coming from. So let me wonder what kind of mother I'd be, actually. Anyways. Mm. The next question we asked our moms, what has been the most special part of raising a daughter? Are there any specific moments you can share? So I had to ask my mom this question a couple of times. <laughs> the first time, I think maybe Google Translate was off when she read the <laughs> question, but she answered like the proudest moment that she ever felt, which I, I didn't know, but I guess I should have assumed this, um, is when I got a scholarship for college. And I guess I'll, I'll play this real quick for y'all. Special moment uh, uh, except for college. Hmm. And they see all the government college free scholarship for four years. Mm. proud of yay. So she said the proudest moment, or I guess this is now the proudest moment instead the most special part of raising us, was when I got a full ride to Boston College for four years. I'm like, dang, four-year ride? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Full scholarship. That is that is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm very thankful for that scholarship because I think she said she had saved up money just in case. But I'm like, BC tuition is hell. Tuition in general is hell expensive, expensive these days. Um, but I just wanted to play that because I've never heard her say that. And I wanted mm-hmm. to capture that moment 
on the podcast. Yeah. An Asian mom telling her daughter why she's proud of her. <laughs> like, yes, I need this. I need to play this over and over again. Save it as a voice memo. Um, but then I asked her, like, specifically, what was the most special part of raising a daughter? And she kind of stepped away from the mic a little bit. And she was like, I don't know if I can say this on the mic, but you need to protect your daughters more than your sons. Mm. And I was like, Mom, you're still not answering the question. Yeah. And anyway, she elaborated. She said, because... Back in the day, if your daughter gets knocked up, no one would want to marry you. Boys, mm. you can kind of just let them run amok. But with girls, you have to really protect them. I was like, Mom, you had to protect your sons as well to raise them to be good men. And she's like, true. But back then, you had mm. to really protect your daughters. And then I pushed a question a little bit more. <laughs> I was like, what is the most special part of raising me as your daughter? And at the end of the day, she just said, well, I like to dress you up. <laughs> and, you know, did your hair. And there was one time we went to, to China and you, were, you and your sister were both really dressed up. And everyone was like, oh, look at your daughters. They're so cute. You can't do that with the sun. I was like, okay, cool. Maybe that's your answer. I don't know if I got the answer from her that I was looking for, but that was her answer. <laughs> I actually think it's really sweet hearing your mom say that her proudest moment was actually getting the four year. Because the way you describe how your mom like wanted to like learn English to help you at school, mm-hmm. I can only imagine how accomplished she felt. Like my daughter like got accepted a really good college, and she you were recognized for that educational accomplishment, and she didn't have to pay for it. Yeah, you know that's okay, especially for an Asian family. Financial burden, dude. That's like a huge like. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's amazing. That is very true. It is an exceptional um, academic achievement to have gotten when you maybe felt a sense of insecurity being able to help your child Mm -hmm. with academics. And look, she still she went above and beyond. I know. (laughs) She actually did say I didn't summarize this part, but she did say that because she was never really involved in our schooling, she kind of didn't know how we were doing, and she was kind of just hoping um, that we were doing well. And she would always encourage us to, you know you know, get good grades and and work hard. But she was encouraging in a very general sense, Mm -hmm. not in like, how's your homework? Can I help you on your homework? So I think that moment did really solidify for her that she did something right Mm -hmm. and her daughters were doing something right. And she's like, okay, you guys are actually kind of (laughs) smart. Very smart. Yeah, we're okay, mom. (laughs) I also struggled with getting a good answer from my mom. She literally had a, so I asked her the question and she got, before the recording, she said, I don't know, what you tell me? (laughs) <laughs> I go, excuse me, you're the mother here, I'm the daughter, but I'll play for you what she said. Well, the moment I saw, I, I think for me, it's pretty big is when I, when I saw you graduate from college, mm. you know, walk down, got your diploma. Mm. And that's, that's, that's a special moment because I feel like that's the pretty much the... I did a good job. Mm, you know, mm. you you next is you're you're on your own. You mm-hmm. know, I was actually surprised with this answer because I thought she'd say high school because she made a huge deal when I graduated high school. But I wonder if it's because maybe like I'm the first like I guess child not 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 my, my mom's generation but like the first like grandchild or mm. whatever to actually get a degree because I'm so much older. Mm. I think because again like she mentioned before like she really. Our families really emphasize education. To see me get a degree is like, okay. Like, she said, I don't have to worry about you anymore. Mm-hmm. That was her, her mentality. Mm. Also, a proud moment would be um, when, I, when I saw you got interviewed by the Today Show on the national TV. Is like, wow, my daughter is actually on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> s- see you get recognized. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so recent. Wow. I know, yeah. yeah. No, also, you know, well, now because you you are doing very well, mm. and you you are 
considered a public figure now. Mm-hmm. So when we go to places when when we're in a, in a restaurant, all of a sudden you have your fan comes over yeah. and then oh, want to take a picture with you. Yeah. And it's the, the, that's the I think that's I'm very proud of of you. Oh, that's really sweet. Oh, so it's like really cute because yeah. I think one time. We were at Meat Fresh in the Bay Area, and I think some some of our listeners saw us and took a photo. I think my mom just seeing that makes her really happy. Mm. And I, I don't know what it. I don't know what it is. She, I think she's just like, oh, my daughter is making something out of herself, yeah, and people are recognizing an impact too. Yeah, yes. yeah. or and she's being recognized publicly for her work. So right. she gets really like excited when she sees these things. And I think my mom likes. To, she has like she likes to have reason to like flaunt and or like brag to her friends. So like if this is her reason. I'm okay with that. But I think it's kind of cool that, like, my her, she's proud of the recent things that are happening with yeah, the three yeah. of us and, like, our podcast. It's kind of cool. That is – that's funny. I mean, I guess similar to both of you ladies, I kind of struggled to get a direct answer out of my mom with, with this question. Um, and instead of thinking about recent things – her first kind of specific moment, she described. She's described this a couple of times um, to us, you know, throughout our our adulthood. But my sister and I are only about two years apart, and so that means when we were little, she has a distinct memory for a full year where she had my sister, a one year old, in her like holding, and then me as a three year old always climbing on top of her. So she was like, for a whole year, I had these two babies all over one arm and one head, and I was just like constantly multitasking. She talks about it as if it's like a complaint, but I I know from like for her that that's like like a meaningful memory to have daughters like like that. Um, and also she just started just like kind of reminiscing, and I think because she was a stay at home mom, she did invest a lot of time like putting us into activities, taking us out. So we were constantly going to the library together, going to the playground, um, putting us in swim class, driving me to and from dance classes. So in some ways it was like, I think just maybe a, a collection of all the different moments of the everyday things from when we were little. Hmm. That's so special. I know. What a beautiful answer. I could just, that, that visionary or that visual of like your both you, yeah. that's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. So the next question we asked our moms, what was your dream for your daughter if you thought about this as a young mom? I actually really like this question. I was very curious to see what my mom would say. And this is what she said. I want to see her settle down, you know, marry someone that cares and love her. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't want to see her rush into a relationship or marriage since myself went through a divorce yeah you know so it's not i i I don't where some parents want their kids to get married have kids right away to me that's not mainly is i want to see her happy Mm. Mm. yeah my mom uh said to have a good life to grow up happily to find a good partner and have a happy marriage (laughs) um and to be able to pursue our dreams and to do what we wanted to do Mm, good answers, mamas. And this is what my mom said. I will play it. Okay, so she didn't have any dreams of us being rich and wealthy. The thing that she cared most about is that we were safe and happy and fulfilled and had a good home and our last question we asked our mothers was what do you wish to see in your daughter now or in the next five or ten years to make the sacrifice of moving to america worth it yeah so she said these next five to ten years are your golden years when you're in your like i guess she said before the age of 50 between your 30s and 40s are supposed to be the prime years where you are she hopes that i am able to like 
recognize a dream and to pursue it. Um, and she, even though she had said as a young mother, she wished that I would, you know, get married and have a good partner. She said, it doesn't matter actually if you're married or if you end up being single, but just make, make your life worth it for yourself, which I thought was an interesting perspective to take. Um, yeah. So she just hopes that I become, that I make good use, I guess, of my golden years. Mm, I like that. I never thought about that. These next five, 10 years are our golden years. Mm. Next 20. Shoot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I asked my mom this question as well. And she said that in China, she experienced that sometimes you might have a job that suddenly gets taken away from you. There's um, quite a lot of corruptness and less control of your own future. At least this is what she experienced when she was living there. Um, So she wanted for her daughters when she moved here to have freedom of choice and to live a happy and fulfilling life by being able to choose what we want to do in life, which we have been able to with here at ABG, which is amazing, right? Um, And because we have been able to have this autonomy over our lives, she is very happy that she made the move here to America and Mm. the, the sacrifice has already been worth it, is what she said. I also asked her just another question that's like a follow-up about what she wishes she could have changed in raising her daughters. Um, And we already touched upon this a little earlier about this whole like language barrier, but I'm just going to play that real quick too. At least in Hoi Woi, Hoi Siku, Hoi Kacang Hoi Woi. She would go to parent-teacher conferences. Hoi Woi, teacher, communicate. Communicate to teachers. Help to volunteer field trips. Yeah. Do you think that would have made our relationship better growing up? Yes. Hmm. I think with that, it was just like kind of sad to hear that maybe even our relationship would have been better if that language barrier wasn't there. And it, it, maybe that's something that I never thought about, but mm. um, that's sort of a sacrifice that she had to make moving to the U.S., knowing that it's specifically for her daughter's future, not to better like her life. It was to better our lives completely and and like wholly. Mm. So that made me sad to hear that because mm. when we when I was growing up I definitely didn't have as great of a relationship as I do with her now didn't you know appreciate her as much as I do now but um yeah communication language barrier that's always been a huge thing in in her the majority of her life Aww. I'm gonna go downstairs and give her a hug after this <laughs> she's downstairs cooking yeah. <laughs> all right how about for you Mel my, her answer is actually very similar to the previous one. She just says, to see me getting married, like to actually see me in that moment, mm-hmm. to see me also have my own family, and just to be financially successful. I think just the key thing she wants. Sounds like a pretty simple thing, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You, know? you got most of that checked off. Yeah. Uh, not yet. Five to ten years, V. That's true. Lock is ticking, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciated this opportunity to sit down with my mom and have this conversation. Thank you ladies for sharing um, as well. Um, I think to kind of bring further context to our conversations with our mom, we wanted to pull back a little bit more and look at the larger narrative of what's happening in society right now. Um, There seems to be a lot of recent narratives exploring specifically the mother and daughter relationships in Asian culture. Like, you know, recently had Turning Red come out. We have Pachinko, Crying in H Mart um, is a book that has been published. Little Fires Everywhere, Joy Luck Club for an old school classic. 
And all of these narratives have this common theme about um, some mother-daughter tension. And now that we've had an opportunity to reflect on some of these topics with our own moms, do you ladies think that pop culture has accurately portrayed and depicted Asian mother-daughter relationship? Or what more is there left to explore? Oh, good question, Jay. For me, so Pachinko is what I'm going to focus on right now, which for the record, the Apple TV Plus series is great, but the book is so much better. Mm-hmm. Right, Mel? You read, did you read it too, Jay? Not yet. I borrowed Mel's book. I gave her read it. Yeah, okay. I have it right now. It is a story that covers the hopes and dreams of four generations of a Korean family, and that storyline just really resonated with me. I think they did a great job of elaborating on the topic of generational tension and trauma. Potential spoiler alert. So... Be careful. But when one of the Korean grandmas in the novel didn't want to sell her home to a Japanese company because of the history that she endured Mm. from the war, but Solomon, who is two generations removed, he wanted her to sell it because to him it was purely a business deal, right? And a way for him to advance his career. And I think that tension, that lack of understanding on Solomon's end, and eventual coming around to tell the grandma not to sign it, was a really good example of what we as first, second generation Asian Americans feel as well. Even when it comes to, say, like our parents having a preference for us to marry someone of a certain race or ethnicity, it could be as as deep as because they saw their own parents living in fear of another ethnicity in times of war and never wanting mm-hmm. to be associated with them. So to us, you know, we don't understand and it's easy for us to say, that's racist to tell me not to marry someone because of whatever race they are. Stop sharing these sad stories. We're living in another time now. But I think what that does is it silences their experiences. And the older I get, the more I'm sort of catching myself in these moments. And instead of like judging my parents or my grandparents for Mm. saying certain things, I ask them questions instead to really understand where that trauma and that that hate comes from, you know, because they lived in very, very different times than what we lived in, which I think is depicted really well in Pachinko and how, you know, Solomon sort of came around to not forcing the sale to happen, even though that would have advanced his career so much further. Man, um, I love your answer in this question. I I think pop culture in some ways are like these books. For me, in some ways, it is right because they're truth. Mm-hmm. Some of this is based on like true events to some degree. But it's kind of like what you said. Like I cannot deny my grandma or my mom's reality because that's their truth that they went through, you know. And so Pachinko for me, like you said, it's phenomenal on how I'm exploring generational strife, mm-hmm. family dynamics. And after reading Pachinko, because it talks a lot about like the Korean and Korean American experience. For me, I wanted to understand my Taiwanese experience. So actually, after reading Pachinko, I read um, Green Island, mm-hmm. and it talks about what it's like for Taiwan and people who are living there, and then a cultural revolution, mm-hmm. what happened there. And so after reading that book, I was like, oh my god, this is why I hear so many stories and all these things in my family. And I was like, I need to understand like what's going on. And so you hear like even like understanding the tension of my mom and my grandma, because mm-hmm. even like that is a very different dynamic than my relationship with my grandma and my mom. So it's it's really interesting so yeah I, I do think in some ways there is like some truth to like i guess pop culture because i think pop culture is kind of just more like a it's just a small dose of the realities of what actually happens in every family right. but again like i will also say that every family has their own version of this truth that i think everyone should and hopefully you guys get to explore because you just learn more about yourself and your family through these experiences and maybe even your relation with your mother and their mother so 
I, I love this question. Yeah, I I think that, and I'm referring mostly to the recent media pieces like Turning Red um, as a movie, Crying in HMAR as a book, um, and even the indie film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Turning Red and Crying in HMAR particularly, I think because one was a memoir about her mother and the other was like highly influenced by her relationship with her mother. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there were so many moments um, it was all the nuanced things that really captured the generational and cultural tension very accurately. Like in Turning Red, I feel like the way the mom has expresses her love in such a doting, almost like suffocating way, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that is very accurate. Um, and I think for me, my mom doted not necessarily around like my academic achievement and me, me needing to be in all these stuff, but more like my lifestyle things. Like she cared so much about how, like even to the detail of like, how am I applying skincare? What time I go to bed? She just wants to make sure that mm. as a mom, she does her job to, to get you to, to, to make sure that you know all the best ways to do things, right? Mm-hmm. To take care of yourself. And then for crying in HMAR, um, capturing the aspect of her mom not wanting to cause trouble so crying in Mart talks about her mom going through um like a fatal disease and i think that is a very asian thing among parents is to try to protect your child or your family so that they would maybe be resistant to wanting to like break that news to you or be like no i'm fine i'm fine i don't need help and when i read all the details of that i was like this is exactly like how my relationship with my parents are. It's very like, mm-hmm. I almost have to read between the lines a lot and force myself sometimes to help out. Um, and then also the aspect of relating to your mother through food as a form of care, uh, whether that is because she's creating a dish or whether that's because there are dishes that she cooks for you um, or even just like pushing certain foods on you because in her culture, that is her way of taking care of you. Uh, and then the last one, everything, everywhere, all at once. The one scene where she tells the daughter they're in an argument and then I feel like the last line that she says is well you're getting fat Mm. and you see in her eyes she's communicating to you in the last way I love you and I'm trying to take care of you but the English ear hears that and is like damn that is the worst insult you can give Mm. and the way Michelle Yao acted that because the camera was on her and you can see in her eyes I'm trying to say I love you but her words were saying you're getting fat and I'm like this perfectly captures moments Mm. that I've I've had with my mom or I've seen my mom my sister have Mm. so yeah I think just all there's like a lot of nuances in the recent stuff that I felt has been really really well captured that's such a good interpretation of everything that has come out so recently it's crazy to to see this list that we've like we've put out and other than joy luck club a lot of this is so recent Mm -hmm. you know like when have we explored mother-daughter dynamics within asian uh culture and within asian media and it's so it's so recent and it i think right now a lot of it is is doing justice to a lot of people's relationships but this is time and again the what we say is that there's still not enough of these stories right even hearing our stories and how different our experiences have been with our our mothers it's like all of our stories should also be something out there you know a series or whatever so we just got to keep making a lot of these stories and putting it out there thank you everyone for joining us for this conversation and thank you again to old navy for sponsoring today's episode and for allowing us to have these really important conversations with our moms i hope this episode inspires all of you out there to have these conversations with your mom if you are so lucky too and maybe then you can learn something that you didn't know before about your mom's experience especially if she is an immigrant mother If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. You can also support us through monthly donations at anchor.fm slash asianbossgirl slash support, or get some merch at asianbossgirl.myshopify.com.
If you resonated with today's episode, let us know in the comments of our IG post. And if you'd like to put faces to our names, you can find us on YouTube, where we share vlogs, an audience Q&A segment called Dear ABG, and much more. Our handle on both platforms is at Asian Boss Girl. Here are our shoutouts for today's episode. From Vancouver, Cheery is sending a congratulations to Lychee and Andrew on their marriage. So happy for you two. We all miss you in Vancouver and can't wait to celebrate with you and reunite with you under the electric sky. Addie in Philly is sending a happy med school graduation to her twin sister, Sammy May. May you continue to radiate warmth and kindness everywhere you go. Keep shining. From Flushing, New York, Sammy is sending a shout out to all the ABG listeners. So proud of how far you've come. Trust your process and keep pushing forward. Thank you so much, Sammy. Rebecca in Washington, D.C. has two shout outs to send. One to Christine. Hi, thank you for being the beacon of vulnerability and knowledge to mental health and Asian American struggles. And to Kathy Yang, congratulations on your engagement. If you'd like to send a few words of encouragement or a shout out to a friend, check out the link in the show description or our link tree in our link in bio on Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. And with that, we will catch you all on the next episode. Bye! Bye.